Hello, welcome everyone to the show. This is Blight, Stories in the Key of Decay and Repair. I am Sean Williamson, and this show is made by me and my friends. And I know the title for this show is Grim, and the logo, um, you know, the blighted out house is pretty grim, and many of these stories are grim. But to me, this show is as much about rebirth as it is about death. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's like, it's about the mountain climber who falls into the ravine and dies, but it's also about the bird that comes and snacks on his eyeballs and the little tulip that eventually grows out of his skull. Um, and I guess that's pretty grim, too, but I think you know what I'm saying. And also, I think, uh, you know, I think we should keep in mind that uh, I write and record and make movies because I never made it as a rock star or as a comedian. Um, and that's not to say I don't take this seriously because obviously I do, but in my heart, I want most to make people laugh and to headbang and to party until I puke. And, uh, yeah, we have a Patreon site for the show. So check that out. The link uh, is on the website here. All these episodes are free and any donation will contribute to season two of blight. Subscribers will also have access to bonus content and merchandise and so that's going to be pretty fun. I'll have new stuff there all the time. With all that out of the way, here is our first episode, written by myself and read by John Mueller, who is an amazing musician and person. He has performed as Death Blues and in the band Volcano Choir, amongst other things. Um, music in this story is performed by New York by way of Milwaukee musician Justin Schmidt. So here's the first story. Yeah, this story is called Dog Dreams. Before anyone gave him a name or put tags on him, someone tied the puppy to an abandoned shed in the forest outside of Seward, Alaska, and left him for dead. Just five weeks old, he whimpered and whined. It was August, and the world was already getting darker and colder. He stared into the night. He was fearful of bears and timber wolves, knowing that if any stumbled by, they would find an easy, tethered meal. He lay down and fell asleep. That night the puppy dreamt restlessly of a time long before he was born when the earth was young and the ocean floor shoved against the land in an everlasting grind of catastrophic slow-motion violence. He swam wide-eyed through space, through colliding, exploding rock giants when the world was not the world, but a galactic punching bag, absorbing hits, growing, settling, healing, then cooling. He watched from a distance as the earth spun, warmed, and started to glow. The puppy dreamt of a roaring furnace at the core, thousands of miles of mantle, soil, then surface, of the grass and of the language of trees, stretching and flexing their roots like a serpent's muscle strangling the inside of the world. He stood at the water's edge and watched microorganisms skitter and blitz, watched creatures form and crawl out of a boiling ocean. Then he saw humans. He saw them in a short time grow, build, and take ownership of the Earth's surface, and in a similarly short time, disappear. That part, the human part, like a flip book, Press your thumb to the edge and shik, 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 done. 
It had started to storm and the puppy woke up. He stood, peed, and shook fresh rain off his head. The forest was an acoustic wonder, water dropping down through the trees, on leaves and the grass below. Sticks breaking, wind ripping through the alleys of Sitka spruce. The moon was bright and shone all the way to the wooded floor. There was a plastic carport shelter attached to the shed, translucent green and horizontally ribbed. Brush had started to grow over the shed's threshold, where the door was slightly ajar. Two old snow machines were pushed against the wall, years removed from their last run. A few vintage beer cans sat on a workbench under the shed's single window. The puppy moved under the cover of the carport and lay down, head on paws, eyes scooping one way, then the other. He saw an aura far into the woods, strong, dense, and black, swirling like a cloud of gnats toward him, then whisking away. When he returned to sleep, he dreamt restlessly of flesh and fur, of the hunger aching just inside of his ribs, of a man leaving a steak unguarded on the kitchen counter. He dreamt of toilets, hydrants, and mailmen. He dreamt of things he had not yet seen, like a squirrel in the yard that he would never catch. Sean and Tanya drove north on the Seward Highway to Anchorage. It was a 150-mile trip around cliffside curves and long falling runways, where suburbans and vans passed recklessly, without pause, weaving in and out from behind cars and semi-trucks, hastily whirring away to long weekends of fishing and camping. It was the only major road running through the Kenai Peninsula. On that Friday afternoon, People were in an extra hurry to beat sundown to their destination before darkness fell and the highway became longer and lonelier. Sean was behind the wheel, 24 and skinny, with short brown hair. He thought with each sharp hill their green work van would fly off the face of the earth into the endless blue Alaskan sky. The tiny bald tires held with all their might to keep the vehicle on the ground. The steering was loose and he felt instantly flushed when the van would swerve slightly. The steering column slipping and the wheels stuttering, going 70 around a big open turn. Traffic came at them in a blur. A speeding Winnebago passed them on a blind corner. A little girl with a popsicle waved at Sean from the passenger window, or at least he thought she was waving. They passed quickly, and it was hard for him to tell. The Winnebago slumped back into the right lane just as the semi-truck turned the corner. Stupid fucking people. It's like they have no idea. Though truly, at his age, he also had no idea. Tanya sat in the passenger seat cross-legged, seatbelt dangling uselessly at her side, their new brown puppy curled up on her lap. With one hand, she patted the puppy on the head and scratched behind his ears. With the other, she pulled cashews from a small plastic bag on the dashboard and popped them in her mouth. She wore a brown sweatshirt with a denim patch sewn on the hood, even though it was warm out, 
sun shining, roads dry. She ate the last of the nuts and dusted off her hands. You okay? I am okay, Sean said. She smiled. Sean smiled back, though inside he was burning as he often was, with the dull and heavy sense they were all in serious danger, that every day, people on the roads, in houses, exposed to nature, they were all walking a fine line between music and silence. He took one hand off the wheel and took a deep breath. He was happy to have the puppy. He appreciated new life. He especially appreciated the puppy was a rescue dog, found tied to a shed in the woods, and nearly starved to death. I'm anxious, he said. Why? I just worry a lot, you know? And now we have this guy, and I love him, but it's another thing to worry about. I know you worry, but you're a good dude. That's what good dudes do, she said. Sean nodded, even though he wasn't so sure. Sean met Tanya on his first day busing tables at an east side diner. She worked the morning shift, and he came in one afternoon for training. He saw her walking through the kitchen with two trash bags, laughing, a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, blonde dreadlocks tied on the top of her head, big blue smiling eyes. She stopped and looked at him. Hi, she yelled. Who are you? Sean, I'm Sean. Nice, I'm Tanya, and I'm having people over to my house tonight to drink beers on my porch. You're invited, she said, and then walked out the back door of the restaurant. How about that? Sean spent the rest of the night dropping dirty plates into the bus tubs and thinking about her. Then, after work, he drank beers on her porch. They didn't talk much. He instead made conversation with the cooks he just met and stole glances, Tanya laughing, chain-smoking and entertaining her guests. When he left, Tanya gave him a hug and kissed him on the cheek, and he felt good. They started dating a few months later, though there were the usual stops and starts. For a long time, she wouldn't call Sean her boyfriend. She didn't like labels, didn't need them. All the same, she wrote him notes, slept over at his house, and bought him cheap cartons of cigarettes at the Indian Reservation when she went camping up north. We should do something together, he said one afternoon, as they lay flat on her living room floor in between shifts. Okay, like what? We should go on a trip this summer, to Alaska or something, he said. Let's just move there forever. They knew there was nothing stopping them. They had both dropped out of college the year before, too drunk, too distracted, and were filling the days with double shifts and punk shows. They were silent for a moment, having seldom considered they were free to do as they wished. He smiled. What time is it? 4.15. What time do you work? 5. He rolled on his side and kissed her, then ran his hand up the front of her black work shirt. There was a tattoo of a horse running across her side, blue, gray, and green against her pale white skin. A freckle was dropped just next to her navel. Where do you get that fucking jaw, she said in a half whisper. What? It's so sharp, she said. I'm very attracted to you. Thanks. He was late to work that day, and a couple months later, they got on a plane. 
still 20 miles south of Girdwood, traffic was slowing and stopping in front of them. Brake lights blipped and pumped. He hadn't seen the car stopping and had to slam the brakes a couple times. Not in complete panic, but with more immediacy than he would have liked. They came to a stop. He pulled a pack of camel filters out of the front pocket of his blue vest jacket, slid a cigarette from the pack, and lit it. It was originally his father's vest. His father was a real outdoors type. He was a rock climber, hiker, camp counselor, knew how to build a fire and tie a canoe on top of the station wagon. Sean felt like a phony. After all, he had decided to come to Alaska on a whim, and before that he had spent most days bussing tables, balancing on a bar stool, or leaning against the jukebox. And he didn't know the first thing about setting up a tent or keeping his socks dry. His father, for a time, had lived in a cabin outside of Fort Collins, Colorado with his dog, played guitar, and ran a rock club that booked national acts. For years, he hunted and fished, drank beers, and got in fights. So the stories went. Slowly, brake lights turned off and exhaust stopped expelling from tailpipes. Sean flicked cigarette ash out the window and exhaled, and pushed the van into park with a heavy kajunk. He pulled the keys from the ignition and leaned his head on the open window. The absence of engine or traffic noise felt calming and cool. His heart, head, and lungs washed clean with only the sound of wind brushing against the long line of stationary vehicles. None of the cars are moving at all. Is there another way? Like if we went through Girdwood? No, I was just thinking about that. This is the only road. Tanya, suddenly struck with an idea, set the puppy on the floor behind her. The puppy looked at Tanya, then Sean, his head on a tiny swivel, before taking a handful of circular steps and lying down. She picked up her backpack and dug around until she found a little leather pouch. She spread open the pouch with her fingertips, pulled out a little nugget of weed and started to break it up on the dashboard. Why not, Sean said and laughed, trying not to look nervous. He looked over his shoulder through the back window. A line of cars up the hill, around the bend and out of sight, were stopping. Passengers were getting out and walking on the road. Right behind them, a tan dad in khakis and wraparound sunglasses stepped out of a Subaru and tipped back a can of Diet Pepsi. Two teenage girls in t-shirts and basketball shorts got out of the vehicle. They looked up and down the road while stretching. Let's do this joint. There's people around now. They did the joint and got out of the van. Tanya pulled the sliding side door open and they both dug around, looking for a jug of water and a dish. The puppy sat up and watched them. The inside of the van was a work in progress. They bought it from a couple of party animal teenagers in Anchorage at the outskirts of a trailer park. Originally, there was only a soiled mattress and a smashed recliner in the back. The teenagers had also painted the outside poorly like the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon album cover. They loved it, used it for work and for going to music festivals, but got busted for underage drinking and had to sell it to pay the court, the teenagers said. Sean and Tanya gave them $700 and, a little later, cleaned out the back. They put in a new mattress and bed frame, 
propped up a couple of folding chairs and screwed a knit blanket to the inside wall to cover the exposed metal. Then they covered the vehicle with forest green house paint, which ran and bubbled after the first rain, but eventually solidified. Tanya hooked the puppy to a red nylon leash and encouraged him as he hopped out of the van. She slid the door back shut. I always feel weird walking on a road, like a road road, like a roadway, Sean said. Why? They walked shoulder to shoulder down the long line of cars. The left lane was entirely open and free of vehicles. The sky was blue and honey yellow as the sun got ready to dip below the horizon. When I was a kid, my grandma would take me and my sister to the fireworks by the fairgrounds. It was crowded and we would walk right down the middle of Main Street because it was closed off. It felt dangerous, like right now. If traffic wasn't stopped here, there would be cars fucking flying. It would be absolute suicide, he said. I get it, sure, she said. Where I grew up, in Newton, I had this boyfriend who lived on a farm a couple miles away. And at night, I would sneak out of my parents' house and walk the four-wheeler down the driveway. When I got far enough away, I would start it up and meet him by this field, like a mile away. Sometimes we would just sit on the road, right on the yellow stripe and hang out or whatever. Dangerous. Well, there weren't any cars, but you're right, it felt weird. Sometimes when the moon was big, it would be bright as day and the crickets chirped in the ditch to either side. They were loud, she said. Hey, Sean yelled at the puppy. What? He was trying to eat some Cheetos. Someone spilled them. I tell you, you let people out of their cars for an hour and they're spilling fucking Cheetos and shit everywhere. They kept walking north of the highway for a half an hour. People pulled coolers out of their trucks and sat on their tailgates, drinking cans of hams and turning hot dogs on fiery grills. Country, classic rock, and bluegrass came from car stereos along the line that stretched so far in the distance they couldn't see the end or what was stopping traffic. The dog trotted along excitedly next to them. This is like Mad Max or a zombie movie when everyone abandons their cars, he said and paused. But I guess if a zombie thing was going on, I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Tanya laughed, a short ha, most likely at Sean's pensive face, thinking about zombies, and covered her mouth. He stopped walking, put his hand on her arm, and kissed her. I love you, he said. I'm glad we got this dog. I know, he's so fucking cute. They both looked down at the puppy who dramatically snapped his head up to look at them, then got distracted by something ahead on the road, then turned and pulled behind like he suddenly remembered the Cheetos a half hour back. The puppy liked them instantly. He watched as they ambled up to the gate and the guy lifted his arm over to flip the latch. They walked up, neither one wanting to step in front of the other. The puppy walked into the doorway of the shelter, then a couple feet toward them in the yard. 
The girl stubbed a lit cigarette out on the bottom of her sandal and slid it into her hoodie pocket. Hello, the guy called gently and craned his neck. The puppy looked back through the shelter doorway. Dog toys and water dishes lay on the shiny floor and the woman he had come to know as Rita sat behind a desk and filled out paperwork. Rita's head picked up when she heard the guy's voice. The puppy turned back to them as they approached. Oh, hey, Sean, look at this guy, the girl said and pointed at the puppy. That's my cue. He bounded up to them, bap, 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 and threw himself at their feet, turning on his back, announcing he was open for belly rubs. Sean and the girl complied, rubbing his stomach and scratching behind his ears. The puppy groaned and snorted. He sounds like a donkey, Sean said. The girl got on her knees and played with the puppy, tickling his sides as he snipped at her hands. Rita walked out into the yard. Hello, Rita said. They all shook hands. Sean and Rita watched from above and talked as Tanya roughhoused with the puppy. Jesus, they just tied him to a shed and left him. That's terrible. Who would do that? Unfortunately, I've seen much worse. The puppy felt an orange aura of love with Tanya as she touched him. He could sense she had grown up with dogs and was most comfortable with the animals. She concentrated and looked into his eyes, biting gently on a stud in her bottom lip just to contain her excitement. She feels better here. She feels at peace here. Between wiggles and playful nips, the puppy looked past Tanya at Sean. He had a thinner aura and sometimes crossed his arms, or, trying to display confidence, talked with his hands, nodding in agreement when she said something. Sean was trying harder. His aura glowed bright when he watched Tanya and the puppy, but dimmed when he looked into the distance or at his own feet. In the days after the adoption, the puppy saw a difference in Sean's aura, but other times, when he was sitting by the fire looking deep into the forest, it disappeared altogether. The day was running out and the shadows sharpened and stretched into the trees, leading up the mountainside. Birds swirled and chased, shadows flickering across the water to the left of the road. A shiver ran up Sean's spine, because as much as he wanted to be one with nature, he couldn't help but fear it. He had since the day they arrived. He feared anything he couldn't see the other side of. The vast peaks, trails that wound and wound before turning to nothing, rushing waters, the sound of far-off waterfalls and the nights cawing, howling oceans of darkness. Sean stood at the edge of the road and stared into the Chugach forest, pulling another cigarette from its pack and lighting it. If we walked in, we'd be lost forever. They came to a bridge crossing a slow river, bleeding into the Cook Inlet. They stopped and squeezed between cars to the guardrail, where they looked down into the shallow river passing beneath them. Sean cleared his throat and spit. Gross. A stone's throw from the bridge, there was a railroad track that also ran over the river. Standing below the track, 
at the base of one of the support beams, two men in bright orange overalls cast fishing lines into the water. Against the hush of the water and the rumbling of a distant train, Sean could make out the sound of news radio. Calm talking and light static carrying on the water acoustics up the road where they stood. Excuse me, sir. Are you listening to the radio? The man with the radio lifted his head, squint-eyed and open-mouthed. What's that? the man said. On your radio, does it say what happened? Does it say why the traffic is stopped? The man's face relaxed with understanding. Yeah, it was a bad accident. Fatalities, it looks like. A family in an RV, sorry to say. Thanks, Sean said. The man went back to fishing. Just then, a coal train came around the corner, breaking the silence with tenacity. It roared across the bridge and shook the ground lightly beneath their feet. The fisherman didn't seem to notice or care. The puppy pushed himself between their legs and looked on. Sean reached down and petted his head. It's okay. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Look, Tiny said. Sean looked up, and against the clouds, they watched a red helicopter floating closer and closer. At first it flew head-on, then turned and showed its side, but still slid toward them through the sky. The whomp, whomp, whomp of propellers echoed through the trees. They could see a white cross on the aircraft's side. I've seen those before. That's flight for life. Jesus, it's been hours since the crash. I bet they had to fly from Anchorage, and we're in the middle of fucking nowhere. They both got on one knee and pet the dog. Sean put his arm around Tanya, and she put her head on his shoulder. They watched the helicopter come closer and closer, then banked to the right behind one of the cliffside bends. The last train car ran across the bridge and into the woods, out of sight, the sound of wheels on track fading into the distance. The puppy looked up. Sean and Tanya stood, lit cigarettes, and shrugged. Tanya pulled his leash lightly. They walked to the road, toward where the van was parked. The puppy jogged up next to them, committed to their mission, whatever it was. They passed kids playing tag, other people walking their dogs, smoke coming out of the slotted holes of portable Weber grills. Different songs, playing from truck stereos, met on the highway in a jumbled mashup. The puppy watched as their auras bloomed different colors, orange, green, red, black, and for a moment, when they held hands, inched cautiously across the other's arms. Sean pulled away suddenly to dig around in his pocket and the auras evaporated. The three moved on below cloud-haloed mountains, on asphalt still traffic hot, like kids walking away from the show after the last firework fizzled out.